So, in our last episode, uh, we talked about the three stages that we all go through. You don't get to bypass a stage. You have to, you, you go through all three. So let me just kind of talk about some of the things that you need to embrace in every, in every, in every stage. Uh, as we start off with the child, you know, the first thing that has to happen is that children need to embrace the spirit of adoption. This is the Galatians 4. You also have it in Matthew chapter, I'm not Matthew, but Romans chapter 8 where it talks about Abba, Father. It's, in other words, you come into an intimate relationship. You know that you're no longer a slave, that you are a son. That's the Galatians 4 passage. Because we're all born with orphan thinking, with or, we're all just kind of that's a, yeah, it, that's where it is, and and so there's that that there's a shift, there's a mindset that we have to embrace that I'm part of the family of God. So then I just have to know how how am I going to live in the family of God? I'm I'm a part of the family of God. How am I going to relate to others in the family of God? You know, and uh, I mean, part of that is about, uh, you know, realizing that I can actually come to the Father and any time with boldness and with confidence, I can go right before him and and ask. And when I do ask, I need to realize I can ask whatever I want to ask. I I need to learn how to to ask extravagantly and uh, become that. And, and be able to do it with boldness and confidence. You know, he is the Abba Father, so I need to be comfortable in being pursue him with intimacy. And that's being vulnerable. You know, a lot of times, you know, especially in people in their cultures, you know, the way that their father is in their culture, it's like, you know, they're not really approachable. You know, I don't know if you, you know, it's like uh, Mary Poppins or something like this, you know, everybody dresses up and they're all... Or, or what is the sound of music? Or, you know, one of the, a lot of those things that, you know, but father has to be daddy, okay? He has to be that intimate, you know, Abba's, that's what it is. And be able to see God as father, come to him as father. You know, when Jesus came and he talked about God as father, it was actually a new revelation. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the word father is used... I think 735 times. And out of those 735 times, only five of those is referring to God as Father. And actually, one of them is in that Isaiah passage. He's talking about Jesus. So we'll narrow it down to four. Okay? When you come to the New Testament, the word Father is used about 350 times. In 250 of those, God is referred to as Father. So when Jesus came talking about God as Father, it was, that was a new revelation. He taught us to pray, our Father. He talked about, you know, just the relationship with God as, as Father. So that was, pretty, that was a pretty new revelation. So that's what we're coming into here. We're coming into to recognizing that God is our, our Father. And embracing him as our, as our father, you know. And, of course, part of the being in the family of God, we started to exemplify the characteristics and the traits of being in his, in his family here. Another thing that needs to happen is that you need to begin to, 
to understand who you are, your new nature in the Lord. Because you are a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. So we have to recognize, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creature. The old is gone, the, new, the old has come. And so when it says it's gone, it really is gone. It's not there anymore. And even though we may feel like it's there, but it's not there. But what, what is there is, is the old thinking structure is still present. So that's why the Bible says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So there, there is a transformation that takes place as our mind is being renewed. And we have to take off who we're not and put on who we are. That's Ephesians chapter 4. 22 through 23, it says, take off the old self. It, it, you know, we are t- it, in other words, it's like taking off uh, some clothing there. Take off who you aren't. Take off the old and, and then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then it says in verse 24, and put on the new self, which is in the image of God, created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You see, we, we are all created in the image of God, but the image of God gets distorted because of sin. It's like looking in a mirror and, and it's cracked. You can still see the reflection, but it is distorted. But Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is in the perfect image. He's in the full image of the Father. So whenever you receive Jesus, you become intertwined with him. You're intertwined with him so that everything that he has, you have. So the image of God is fully restored. Then now you have the righteousness of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, you know, we have the righteousness of Christ. You are righteous, whether you feel like you're righteous or not. You are righteous. And, and even though you may not feel like I do righteous things at times, but still God looks at you, you're intertwined with the one who is righteous. And then this is the holiness of the, of the truth. That word holy there in that Ephesians 4 passage it's not your regular word for holy. Uh, the regular word for holy is like, you know, it's like you're separated. Hagias is that Greek word, you know, you're separate. But this one actually means free from contamination. So Jesus is free from contamination. And so since you're one with him, you're, you're united with the one who's free from contamination. That's who you are. You are a saint. You are a holy one. Um, I mean... Don't be telling yourself that you're a sinner, you know, because you're a saint. Okay, you're just, I mean, you might be a saint that sins, but, that, that's, but the thing is, that's not, that's not your identity anymore. That's not the truth of who you really are. And you need to be secure in your relationship. In other words, you, you know, First John 5.13, he says, I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. You, you, need, you don't need to be living in eternal insecurity. I mean, you need to be living, knowing whose you belong to, that you are his. Because uh, otherwise, the enemy's going to be taking you out. And usually you got the, I'm not for sure, you know, because you got the performance thing still going on. You know, I might have done some things. Maybe I lost that thing. But, you know, your, your relationship is not based upon your activity. It's based on his activity, not your activity. It's based on what he did. Okay, not what you, you know, you just receive. You're, you're just a receiver of what he did. And we become receivers there. You, you have to begin to live in a place as a child free from condemnation. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know your sins are forgiven. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So we got that one down. 
And, and so I have to begin to live right. I'm not living in a place where I'm, I like I'm being condemned because if, if all you do is have these thoughts of self-condemnation, you're listening to channel B. You know, you're not listening to channel A. So you're listening to the wrong channel. So you gotta, when you listen to God, he's, he's not going to be beating you up about that stuff, but the devil sure is good about doing that one there. You know, and, of course, that fits with that thing that you know your sins are forgiven. That's one thing the children did. You're going to have to develop a trusting nature. You know, sometimes people's receivers are broken, you know, because of hurt, wounding, childhood, stuff like that. My capacity to receive is broken. And, and then it's in this stage, like we said, that we learn to be great receivers. So you have to learn how to receive. But if you've got, if you've got some brokenness in your life, you know, things that have happened growing up, like I just, I just can't receive. You know, some people, they just can't receive. You know, you're going to have, you have to get that thing fixed. Let the Lord heal that, that particular area. You're missing out on a whole lot that other people would give you and impart to you if you don't have the capacity to receive. So, as, so you're learning to develop this, trend, this trusting nature as becoming a great receiver. And then another thing as a children, you, you're going to start learning how to live in covenant, in covenant with a, with a spiritual family. And, and in doing this, we have to move away from the fear bonds and begin to embrace the love bonds. The fear bond is whenever I'm, I, I grew up conditioned out of fear. In other words, there was a lot of performance stuff. I, I, in other words, I lived out of fear, related out of fear. And a lot of times our parents or some parents brought us up in that way. And, and so in a fear bond, I can't be who I am. I, I become who you want me to be. I end up actually taking on a false identity that's not my true identity because it doesn't turn out well, <laughs> you know, in, in this, that family environment there. But then I develop a pattern of doing that even with other people. So it's like it's, I have a hard time being very authentic with others. I'll become who I think you want me to become so that you will like me, accept me, receive me. That's a fear, that's a fear bond relationship there. A love bond knows that I'm loved regardless of what I do. You know, and I may blow it and mess up, but I know you love me. And in this, I can actually explore, and, and then who I really am can come out because I know you're not going to reject me. You know, it's, 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 it's a love relationship there. And, but if some people have actually grown up in a fear bond m mindset and were trained that way, they can, they can be in the midst of a love bond community and not know it. So they don't really, they just don't know it. I mean, in other words, because they, they're still trained that way and they still think that way. So it's kind of hard to, you know, it, you, you just got to recognize that, you know, like, I mean, you're still living out of, out of fear here. You're still trying to be something that you're not. You're not really able to be an authentic and live from who you really are. So we need to let who you really are begin to come out, you know, and then that's, we can work with that one. So it's, it's learning to live in that covenant relationship. And a covenant means there's a commitment. You know, in other words, I'm, I'm, I'm there for you, you're there for me. So it's not like a, eh, I'm, I don't know, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm stepping in. No, you, are, are you in or are you not in? So it's learning how to live in and be a part of a spiritual family in covenant in the spiritual family. And that's, that's kind of, you know, very, very significant. 
So in this, you're going to learn to live from relationship and out of relationship. And, and so that's, that's going to be very important. Now, obviously, as you grow and mature, then some of these things begin to shift and to change. I mean, for example, you begin, you know, you start off as a, as a, as, as a consumer. And, but as you continue to grow, then you learn to be a contributor, you know, it's kind of like when your kids are growing up. I mean, they're just pure consumers in the very beginning. But then, you know, they learn something called chores, you know. I mean, you're going to contribute. You, you made this mess. You're going to have to pick it up. I mean, you, so you're teaching them and training them to, be, to contribute. And then you train them to be a part of the family, you know. And that's a, there's something about living as a part of family because in the family, we, sometimes we find ourselves doing things that we don't want to do, but we do them because we're part of the family, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's like, well, you know, it's your, it's your time to, to wash the dishes. Well, you know, I, I just don't feel called to wash the dishes. Uh, you know, it's just not my gifting, you know. <coughs> well, I know it's not... <coughs> But until God brings that person into this family, because that, that person's not here yet, we're all going to take turns doing that. <laughs> you know, it's your turn to mow the lawn. But I don't feel called to mow the lawn. I don't, it's, not my, it's not my strength. Well, I know it's not, but it's nobody else's. So until that person gets here, you know, we're all going to take turns. So sometimes living in a family, you learn to do things that you don't want to do or you're not gifted or talented in because there's nobody here to do it. So you sometimes you take turns. Usually, sometimes even working with children that, you know, a lot of churches like, that's kind of, you know, that's, well, we don't have anybody. You're, you're it for today, you know. I remember one time in my own church, you know, I had a guest speaker coming in and speaking. And so they, you know, they said, okay, well, you know, you're not preaching today, right? And I go, no. And I said, well, we need some help in the nursery. <laughs> well, somebody needs to introduce them. Well, your wife can do that, but it's your turn to go work in the nursery. I worked in the nursery that day. They pull the stuff on you, you know? <laughs> the other thing is, is that, you know, as, as your children, as you're moving into the next stage, you learn to feed yourself. In the beginning, you know you're feeding, but then you train them to feed themselves. And so you're learning how to start, start feeding yourself. And then I think what's really important is that you're moving from living like a slave to living like a son or living like a daughter. In other words, there's, that's a part of the fruit of the adoption mindset. I'm, not, I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer a servant. I'm actually a son and a daughter. That's what that... You know, the, the, uh, the younger son in the, in the parable of the, the prodigal, you know, that was, that was his mindset. He was, he was going to, when he came back, he was going to tell his dad that, you know, I, I, I've sinned against you, uh, you know, all this, but I, and so I, just take me back as a servant. I will earn my, my way back, okay? So he thought he still had a servant earning it back. So God's going to try to knock out the performance stuff. So the children's stage, as you learn to come to God, you basically uh, cut out any performance mindset that's, that you have there. So you're going to learn to live from favor rather than living to gain favor. So you already have favor, 
the favor of God on you. So you're learning to live from that favor that you have as a son or a daughter, you know, because you already possess that. Uh, so when we get to the young men, uh, the young men is, is, when you get to the young men's stage, you're already beginning to learn how to live from inheritance. You're learning to live from abundance. Inheritance is not something you earn. It's something somebody else bought and paid for. So you find, figure out what did Jesus buy? You know, you know what, 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 what did he buy and what, what did he already pay for? So it's a place where you start living. You start, you know, you're in, the, in the children's state, I mean the young men's state, you're living from strength. <coughs> you know, it's, it's almost like you know, Philippians 4.13 becomes your life verse. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, nothing is impossible for God. I am an overcomer. You, you, you're, you're learning to abide in the word of God. Now, here's, here's something here. If you're going to abide in the, in, in the Word of God, that means you need to have developed some certain skills to get into the Word. In other words, you've got, to, you've, got to be, you've got to develop some skills, Bible study skills, to get into it, retain it, find truths out of it, embrace it. In other words, if, if you can't do a personal Bible study, you're not going to do very well as a young man. You're going to have to really know how to, to, there's going to be some skill development, and that's going to require some time. It's going to require some work. A lot of people, they don't, they don't like, uh, well, they, they like people to do that for them. And, you know, but you, you're going to have to learn how to do it yourself. And not only to, to uh, study the Word, hear the Word, but then be a doer of the word as well. You know, Jesus told that story about the man, man who built his house on the rock versus the person who built his house on the sand. He said, what's the difference between those two? Well, both of them had the word. But one of them did it and the other one did not. So it's not being able to get the word, hear the word, but are you doing the word? And you see something about whenever you do the Word, doing the Word actually feeds your spirit. Otherwise, what you find is that a lot of people are going after getting the Word. I'm just hungry for the Word. I'm, so they go to Bible study, to Bible study, to Bible study, trying to feed something that's not getting fed. And the reason it's not getting fed is because that part which would get fed comes from doing the Word. So if they're not doing the word, it's going to still create that void. That in other words, you're not going to. You're not going to. You're still going to be hungry for something that because you're not. You're not doing it. So you need to be a doer of the word as well as one who who hears the word of God. Another thing in that young man's stage is that you actually begin to incorporate into your life the spiritual disciplines. Now, a lot of people go, oh, disciplines. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, if you're going to be a young man and you're going to, you're going to take on the enemy and you're going to win, have a habit of winning, this means that you're going to live a pretty disciplined life. So there's all these spiritual disciplines, you know, and there's a couple of books that, has, that people have written on these, you know, on the, these spiritual disciplines. But, but you got to think in terms of this. That, by the way, you're not doing these disciplines to gain the favor of God. You already have the favor of God. 
Your attitude is like, okay, if, if you're an athlete and you're trying to do something in the Olympics, you know, it's going to require some discipline. You just can't show up without having been in shape and worked on it and developed your skill. No, you, you understand sacrifice. You know, you get up early in the morning to, to do your routine, it's, and it's not like you, you feel like doing that. You know, I mean, I don't feel like doing this, but you get up and you do it anyway because, you know, you're, you're disciplined. Or it's like a soldier who's going through training, you know, for battle. I mean, in other words, I'm getting myself in shape here. I'm disciplining myself. First uh, Timothy 4, 7, and 8 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is of only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the one to come. So the disciplines aren't to gain the favor of God. They're simply living from favor, but they're, you're simply equipping yourself, disciplining yourself, because you actually expect to engage in a battle. It, it is going to happen, and you expect to overcome whenever it does. So it'll kind of, they'll flow, flow out, of the, 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 out of your passions there. Is, in the young man, you're going to engage in spiritual warfare. I mean, it's just going to be part of life. You're going to understand this. It's going, you're going to routinely engage in spiritual warfare, but you're going to routinely overcome the evil one. Okay? So you're just going to do that. And, and, and to engage in warfare is going to mean that you're going to begin to recognize what are the arenas that I go to war and what are the arenas that I don't. The metrons, which is the Greek word, they're the measure. In other words, I need to know, you know, where has God put me into the battle and where am I supposed to refrain? Just because there's a battle doesn't mean you have to jump into it unless God is, you know, getting, telling you to do that. So you begin to discern where do I engage in warfare and when, where do I not. I just don't jump in there. I mean, for example, I'm doing, you know, like, like doing deliverance. Just because I see a manifestation, that's not permission for me to go after that. I learned that the hard way. But it was, it's like, you know, God tells you, I have to ask him, you want me to jump in there? Okay, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I just have to listen to him. And he kind of tells me if I'm supposed to be doing that or not. So you, you need to know where you engage in warfare. And then, you know, if, 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 if you've got warfare going on in an area and God's not putting you in there, don't worry about it. I mean, like, you know, just, just because there's a battle, that's not your permission to go after it. And the Lord says, I want you in that one. Okay? Uh, you understand spiritual authority. I mean, if you're going to exercise authority, you've got to understand spiritual authority. And that also means that you're under authority. You remember that, the centurion? You know, Jesus says, okay, let's go to your house. We'll work, we'll work on that one. And he goes, no, don't worry about it. I understand authority. I'm under authority, you know, and because I am, I'll tell this person and tell that person. He says, I understand how this authority thing works. And, of course, Jesus was amazed at his faith. So if we're going to walk in authority, we need to understand where are the places of authority that God has actually put over me that I, that I simply have to walk in and submit to. So there's a discernment there to do that. You've got to be passionate about the kingdom of God. And uh, I, I'd encourage you. The best book that I know of on the kingdom of God is written by Jack Taylor, and it's called Cosmic Initiative. 
And it's all about the kingdom of God. It's, it's really good, but that's, I'd recommend that one if you want to get one. Jack Taylor, Cosmic Initiative. Young men and young women, they pursue the promises of God because they know there's a destiny out there. That means, you know, you're actually going to listen to some prophetic words that might be spoken and take them to the Lord. Is this for me? And some of those words you're going to have to cooperate with. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes those words come to you, but it's like, okay, they're not automatic. You're going to have to cooperate with that word for that, for that thing to, to take place in your life as you pursue, you know, the destiny. There's also a lot of promises in his word that nobody's going to prophesy over you, but you're going to find them as you are in his word. So that's another reason to get into the word of God. You know, if, if you're not, if you don't, if you don't break open your Bible on a regular basis, you're not going to grow and mature. I'm just telling you, it's just not going to happen unless you're really into His Word. As a, as a, as as a young, I mean, as as a, yeah, the young man, the young women uh, place, you've learned to live in accountability, and I think very significantly, you've learned how to develop your own support system. With children, we have to build support systems for them. So whenever, you know, in churches and ministries and stuff like that, we'll have a system, you know, that they can plug into that is a support system. But as you move up, you recognize, I need a support system. I need people speaking in my life. And I've learned to develop my own support system. So my wife, we pastored, you know, in the... Uh, for 32 years, we moved to, to Texas, and we started attending this church. And, and uh, one of the first things we did is they, they have small groups. They call them life groups. So, you know, the small groups where people can connect and have community. So the first one, you know, I, now we have community with my own family. I mean, I've got a tribe now. You know, I've got, you know, one son that, you know, has three kids, and you know, he and his wife, another son that has two kids, and he and his wife. So, we, I mean, we got our own little community of family. But I recognize I need more than that. So what, what I do, I get there, I said, okay, we, we need to get into a life group. You know, I don't, I, don't want a, I don't want a group that's going to pull on me all the time because, you know, I travel, I'm always giving, giving, giving. I'd like to go to a group where I can just kind of do receive and receive. So I actually pick one that, that's not going to suck the life out of us, but actually, you know, give us life. So we're very picky, you know, and, and so we got into a little more mature group of, of people that could actually do that. And, and, then, uh, and then I have people in my life, you know, other ministers that I connect with that don't live anywhere near me that I connect with on a regular basis. You know, we may actually do, may go on some vacations together, connect together. We, you know, we'll do some things together. We connect every, every month, you know, because we all do like a podcast together. One of the, a lady, you know, she's a prophet. And so she puts together little voice of the shepherds things that we do. So we, her name's Kim Moss. So you can always get on her ministry page, M-A-A-S, you know, and you'll see what she's, I don't, I don't post any of the stuff to my ministry page hardly, you know, I just, I just don't do, hardly get on Facebook at all. You know, I mean, I, I'm at, almost at the 5,000 limit. I do nothing. You know, hardly put anything on there, but but uh, 
but you know, she kind of does that. But we get connected every month. We talk. We we visit. We we're a support group. We pray for each other. And so I have these people in my life who speak into my life. I I learn how to build my own community. And so they're, they're on different realms. I got I got immediate family. I've got you know a small group I'm part of. I got I mean I have all these different groups. But but you see that's what the young men when you get to that stage. You, you've already learned that for me to be able to engage in warfare, I have to have community. You know, a lot of times when people are in ministry, they go, they're just getting beat up like crazy. I'll ask them this. I said, well, tell me about your intercessors. They go, intercessors? Okay, that's your problem. Okay, do you have anybody praying for you? Mm, no, no. I said, okay, so that means you're not praying for anybody. You know, because usually the way intercessors are going to work, it's like if I'm in ministry, I'm going to be praying for you and you're going to be praying for me. So I learned to develop a core of intercessors that we praying for each other. So if you're getting beat up all the time and, and you can't tell me who your intercessors are, I said, see, that's, your, that's the problem right there. You're going this thing alone. So and you'll get taken out. So and intercessors have to pray for each other, too. You know, in other words, intercessors need intercessors. You know, they really do because they'll, they'll, you'll get taken out if you're just doing this, fighting this battle. I'm interceding for the nations, you know, and I'm, I'm going, okay, you know. <laughs> but who's praying for you as you're fighting principalities? I guess they just, that's just a spirit of stupid jumping on you there. And, you know. So in this young men's stage, you're actually, uh, you're, you're, it, there's a whole lot of activity there's a lot of obedience that's going on in this stage. A lot of obedience. I know that's a bad word for some people. But in reality, obedience is like a good thing. It kind of keeps you where you need to go. He said, if you obey me, you will. And if you love me, you will obey me. I mean, their obedience is like part of it. But here's the, here's the problem. If you don't kick out that, that orphan thinking, you're going to have performance in your mindset. So one of the problems is, is that we put on people the demands of the young men without dealing with the orphan thinking and having crucified the performance mindset. So then what happens, that all that does is create a religious spirit because now it's activity without relationship. It's activity you know, you need to be disciplined. You need to be, you know, we're, we're drilling discipline and obedience, but we haven't drilled in relationship and living from relationship. So all that does is create a, a religious uh, spirit. It leads to legalism, and, uh, and it's just still performance-based mindset. When we get to fathers and mothers, the problem that we have in the church is that there's such a void of fathers and mothers in the church that have really have moved into that realm. Uh, we have a lot of older brothers and sisters who masquerade as fathers and mothers, you know. And one of the ways you know you're there is that they're okay with you until you get up equal with them, and then they shove you down. I mean, it's like all of a sudden, you're, in other words, you're really anointed and gifted, and all of a sudden, you kind of get up to where they are, and if they beat you back down or put you down or whatever like that, that's an older brother or sister. That's not a true mother and father. See, a true mother and father is like this. You, you come up, 
and you get equal with me, oh my goodness, I am your cheerleader. Man, you go. You go for it. You know, and as you just, and as you go up into the new heights, they're going, yeah, keep on, you can do this. You know, and they, they understand their role. They're not in competition. Brothers and sisters are in competition with each other. And this is why you find even churches competing. You know, if you think about it in the spirit realm, that is the most stupid thing. Your competition is not other people, you know, other believers. You know, they're not your competition at all. I mean, you should be, you know, the disciples go, Jesus, what should we do? Should we call fire down from heaven on these people? You know, <laughs> he goes, no, that's a, let's don't do that. But, the, you know, they're acting like older brothers, you know, in, in that particular situation. They're competing. And so, you know, when churches are competing, you know, in other words, they're competing for the few people out there. You go, my goodness, we're supposed to be here changing the world, and you're trying to, you know, attract members, you know. It says, but that reveals where they are for me. So we have a whole lot of churches that are led by older brothers and sisters, the, the, the church is yearning for, the, for fathers and mothers, and so we celebrate them whenever we find them. We go, yeah, okay, here's somebody who's actually, I'm, I can actually move forward into my destiny because I have those people, you know, in my life. Fathers and mothers, you know, you're going to see life from heaven's perspective, you know, from the beginning. In other words, the bigger picture, what God is up to. You're going to, you're going to pursue godly character and live from godly character. And you're actually going to relate to people as a father or as a, as a mother. In other words, when you connect with people, you know, they, they just know that, that, you know, that, hey, you know, this is a real father. This is a real mother there. Uh, and, you, and so that means that you actually have people in your life that actually look at you as a spiritual father or mother. Now, I know some people who think they're fathers and mothers. They're, they're saying, well, this is my spiritual son. This is my spiritual daughter. And you talk to them. Are you? And they go, I don't know. I just make them happy. They just, they just think that. But no, they're really not that way. Because some people, they, they go after their own sons and daughters. But the truth is, sons and daughters usually go after fathers and mothers. More than fathers and mothers goes after sons and daughters. That's just kind of the way that that, that, that thing works there. You've learned to relate to people with unconditional love. It's kind of, you know, a father and a mother, you love your, the, your children at every stage of their growth. You know, you love them in their two. You, you're not always saying, man, I can't wait till they're three. You know, oh, oh kids, man. Wait, why can't they be four? You know, in other words, you, you love them. At the stage that they're in, you learn to enjoy them at every stage that they're in. Olders and brothers and sisters, they're not that way. Why don't you just grow up? What is your problem, right? <laughs> because they can't, you know, they don't have that unconditional love. So as fathers, you just, mothers, you have that unconditional love. And of course, you actually begin to reproduce yourself. In other words, if you don't have, if you can't look out and see there's people that are actually following you, growing, and you've actually reproduced yourself, you know, maybe you're really not. Just look back behind you there, you know, what's there. Now, as you grow from one level to the next, you don't like, you know, we're, we're going to have the children graduation ceremony, and then we're moving into the young men. 
It's, it doesn't work that way because you'll actually have characteristics of each level. For, in, in, for example, let's say you're building a three-story house. So you got this three-story house. You don't start working on the second floor whenever you've completed the first. It's all finished, done. Okay, now let's start on the second. No. You start on the first. When you get enough to so you can start the second, you start the second. And when you get enough to start, to start on the third, you start on the third, even though you hadn't even finished the second and hadn't even finished the first. So think of your house. Think of your life I'm like a three-story house. So I, what happened, I'm going to give attention to that children's stage, but I'm, but I'm going to start developing characteristics as the young men and young women. But I'm still working on some of the children's stage, but now I've already moved into that. And then I'm, already, I'm, already, I'm going to move into, like, the, the, the father-mother stage. So now I'm going to develop some characteristics of the father and mother, you know, even though I hadn't even finished the other, the other stages, okay? So in other words, that's kind of how the way it goes. So you don't, like, just get up to one, bang, all right, you know, bang. Oh, there. So you, you got to see it like that. Or, or, or another illustration uh, would be like, listen, if you can imagine a, a wooden barrel, okay, like a wine barrel. Imagine a wooden barrel, and that wooden barrel has, has slats, right? And so in that slats, so you got the slats, and they're held together by these two bands, these two metal bands. And so if we look at it, you know, imagine every one of those slats, it's just an area of your life. So you know, you got your first, your first third of it, that's the children's stage, this middle of it, that would be the, the young men's stage, and then the top is the, is the, top, it's the, the father-mother stage. So what happens, you'll have some of your life that that'll grow faster than others. So you may have a slat that really jumps up all the way into that father-mother stage where the other slats, the other parts of you haven't got up there yet. Now, what causes one to get up there? Well, you may have an area of your life that really gets it because you went through the fires of testing. Nothing, nothing causes you to grow and mature more than the fire. <laughs> I mean, you go, through, you go through a struggle, a tribulation, persecution. I mean, you go through the, a really a difficult time. That's going to really force you because a lot of us don't, don't grow until we are forced to grow. How many know what I'm talking about here? You don't volunteer for that all of a sudden, but the pressure comes on you all of a sudden. And then it's in that fire where you, where you learn what's inside of you. I remember one time I, when I first, the first time I, I, it, I got to where I am doing what I'm doing today by just saying yes to God. I just said yes. And then I would get thrown into something and I would say, why did I say Yes. I mean, really. I mean, that's the way it worked. I mean, so here it was. The, I, w- I was going to, uh, I, I, I met Randy Clark for the first time in just like a pastor's meeting in the year 2000. First time. And I go, oh, I like this guy. I like his humility. I like what he carried. They really didn't know him. I said, and, and, and then the Lord speaks to me. He says, you need, you need to connect with this guy. You need to go on a trip with him mission trip. So I go, okay, Lord, what mission trip do you want me to go to? So he, you know, I'm looking on their list and I see the one says Mozambique. Okay. I didn't know what they were doing in Mozambique. Didn't know anybody in Mozambique. Lord said, go to that trip. I said, okay. I tried to get on that trip. I couldn't get on it uh, because they only were taking 12 people. 
And so when he came back in town the next year, I didn't meet with him. I met with his assistant, you know, named, you know that was Rex Berger. And, and I met with him, went, took him out to lunch. Randy was meeting with pastors. I met with Randy's assistant. And I said, you know, hey, I'm trying to get on that Mozambique trip. He says, well, we're only taking 12 people. And Randy handpicked those people. He says, you can't get on it. He says, in fact, there's a waiting list of about 200 people. And he said, and that's with the people that we know. He says, I said, well, I'm on the waiting list. Well, you're, you're, you're on waiting list B because we don't know you. You know, you have, you know like, like there's no chance in the world you're going to get on this trip. So, but I thought I heard the Lord. He says, maybe next year because now, I'm, now I've got moved from B list to A list, right? So, okay, now, now I, okay, I can do this thing. So I'm next year, but I thought I heard God very clearly say to go with him to Mozambique this year. Well, well uh, I, I took our young people to Mexico, came back. I was as sick as a dog. The Holy Spirit speaks to me, and he says, Rodney, if you fast and pray, I'll open the door for you to go to Mozambique. This is in July, and they're, they're going to Mozambique in August. I said, okay. So I, 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 can, I could... I could fast really easy because I'm sick, you know. So that was no problem. The praying part was the hard part because my head was hurting. I go, okay. But, I, you know, I did do a little bit of praying, but not a whole lot of praying. So I go, okay. So I did that. No, I'm not hearing anything. And then, and then the Lord speaks to me and says, send Rex an email. This is two weeks before they're leaving, a little over two weeks. Send him a text and tell him that you can go. So I sent him a text. I'm not a text, an email. I sent him an email. I didn't have his phone number. I sent him an email and said, hey, I can, you know, my title was I Can Pack Quickly. I said, you know, if something happens and, and uh, somebody can't go, you know, I, you know I, I, I can go. Now, I had already had other plans during that time. They were going like I was doing a wedding. And I was teaching at a camp. So <laughs> they were big things, Okay. <laughs> I sent that email on a Monday, and it did not arrive in his, in his inbox until Friday. Wow. Thursday night, one of the guys called him and says, I hate to do this, but my intercessors tell me I'm not supposed to go. I, I, I really want to go, but I always honor what they say. And they said I'm not supposed to go, so I, I can't go. So, you know, he was mad. And then Friday morning, he gets up and pop, there's my email. He's looking at his wife. She goes, he goes, what do you think? She goes, I think God wants that guy on the trip. <laughs> he calls me up. He said, are your shots current? And I said, all but one. He said, okay, give me a credit card. You're going. So now I'm on this trip. I don't know these people. And then, and then some people sends me like a videotape, because that's what they had, of Heidi Baker and I'm, and I'm watching Heidi, I'm going, oh, my goodness, am I going with that person? And I'm thinking, why in the world am I doing this? I don't know if you know, you know Heidi Baker or not, okay? But she's, you know, it was a little bit different. I'm going, oh, my goodness, you know? And so then I go on this trip with them, and, uh, and now I'm on this trip. Then I'm, we're meeting with these people, like, who raised the dead, you know? And now I'm intimidated, like, you know, they're like, we need somebody to preach at this one thing. I'm, like, I'm not doing that. No way in the world. 
You know, I'm, I'm backing up. There's only 12 of us, and none of these guys were volunteering. We're like, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. And then, and then one time, it, it's, it's like Heidi comes to us too, and she goes, you know, we're, we're in Morinbala in the middle of the country, and, and uh, we're doing this crusade thing, and Heidi's supposed to be preaching. And, and they, she said, I lost my voice. I can't, I can't really preach. I need, I need one of you guys to preach. And we're like, I'm not doing it. I know I'm, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid, you know. And I'm, I'm not going to do that. And, and, and sure enough, these guys, they threw me into the bus. They said, well, you know, Rodney, Rodney's a Baptist. And these Baptists do these evangelism things. So Rodney, we think Rodney can do it. You know, and the good news is I had been doing things like in India and, and other places. So I've been doing these evangelistic things out there. So he had prepared me for that moment. We saw about 4,000 people give their hearts to Jesus that, 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 uh, that evening. And, 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 well, long story short is that by the time the trip was over, I got invited back to go with them to Malawi. Of all of those 12, I was the only one who got invited to go with them to Malawi. I'm going, you know, okay, I, I guess I can do that. So it's just going to be myself or somebody that I bring one of their guys named Supresa, and, and then Roland and Heidi out in the middle of nowhere in Malawi. And I go, okay, I, 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 yeah, I can do that. And on the plane out there, I'm going, why did I say I would do that? Why did I say it? I, I shouldn't have said yes. What was I thinking? You know, like, I'm just this little old me, you know, in this little old church. And, 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 and so we get out there. And I thought we were having one conference, and we ended up having two conferences. Because I was coming like a couple of days early, they thought they would do a second conference, which I didn't know they were going to do. And, and, and so Supresa picks me up at the airport in, in Malawi, and, and we drive, you know, for several hours. And he says, okay, you know, you're going you're gonna to preach tonight. And I said, okay, because I'm thinking we're going to be at a little church or something like that, you know, because it wasn't the, the conference didn't start until Thursday. This was Tuesday. And, and I said, okay, I, I, I can do that. I said, I, you know, let me, let me get my Bible. He says, well, you won't need it. I said, why? He said, well, we don't have a generator. We don't have any light. Rollins coming on Thursday with the, with the part. We have a generator, but we don't know how to hook everything up. So you're not going to have any electricity. I go, well, I have a flashlight. He said, well, you won't need it. So we show up, and it's actually at the conference. And it's pitch black and it's raining, and there's all these tarps, and the sound system is a megaphone where you hold the microphone with one hand and the megaphone. This is the sound system for 2,000 people. I couldn't see. We had no light. I couldn't use my Bible, and so I preached that message, you know, and, you know, it's all what was inside of me came out. We get back to the little room where we're staying, and Supresa goes, that was the first night of the conference. That was, a, that was a good first night. And I go, what do you mean conference? We don't start till Thursday. No, we decided to go ahead and start since you're going to be here. I said, okay. So he said, I, want, so I, want you, I need you to speak tomorrow. I says, okay, well, what are the sessions? He said, we have a, a morning session, an afternoon session, and an evening session. I said, okay, which one do you want me to do? He says, all of them, if you are able. I said, okay. This was the sound system. I spoke all day long, 
And I found out what was inside of me. I mean, I didn't know what was there until I got put under the pressure. The next day they came. He said, I'm going to speak the morning session. Thank God, I think I'm done. You know, another guy was going to kind of show up to kind of finish that conference out. And they said, he's going to speak on Thursday. I said, okay, I'm good. I'm done. He, well, the praise goes to him. Can you speak on, you know, the Thursday afternoon? He goes, oh, I can't. I'm not ready. So he comes up to me. You're speaking this afternoon. And then we go over to a new place and do a whole new conference. And guess who's up first? You don't know what's in you until the pressure hits you. So, that, so that's one of the things, you, you know. So what's going to get you up on one of those levels is going to be the pressure. It's going to be the fire. It's going to be the persecution. Another thing that you, you get high in a level is because God graced you with something. You say, what do you, what do you mean by like, well, you know, some of the gifts that you have are, are really the... It, they're, they're motivational gifts where God graces you to do that. This is the Romans chapter 12 passage there. So, so sometimes you have certain characteristics that are part of, of the grace that God puts on you. I mean, for example, let's say you, you, know, you have the gift of teaching. Well, if you have the spiritual gift of teaching, you're going to have a spiritual gift. Of, 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 you're going to have the grace to get into the Word. You're going to love the Word. So you're going to say, oh, you know, I must be in the young men's stage because look the way I love the Word. I'm in the Word. I have a passion for the Word. Well, in reality, you may not be in that stage. You might be, but you may not be because God graced you for that one. You didn't really grow into that one. You were graced into that one there. But all the other slats are low. And then you say, for example, let's say you have the gift of serving. You know, now the spiritual gift of serving is like you're, you're going you're to serve because you, you love to serve. You have a passion for serving, so you're a doer. You know, kind of like Martha, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm just, I love serving. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, in, a, you're in, a, in a room and the light bulb kind of flickers out. Well, you're going to go grab a light bulb like, well, we're in a meeting right now. I don't care, but we've got to fix this thing, okay? And so you just got this servant thing going on. You go, well, I must be in the young men's stage because of the activity. No, God graced you with, you're, you're in the, that, that slat is high in the serving because you were graced with that. Or let's say, you know, you, you, you like things in order. So, you know, there's that gift of administration. So, you know, uh, you, it's just, it just naturally. You're like, for example, you go, to, you go to the clothing store and some of the hangers are back. <laughs> and, and you have to re, reset all of those things. Like, you know, it's, it's just out of order, you know? you know. There's an extra large that shouldn't be in the extra large. If that belongs in the... I mean, it's in the small section. We're going to move that back. I mean, you're, just, you're setting things into order because you got that gift of administration. So you go, okay, I must, I, I must be in the young men's stage. Well, no, you were graced with that one, okay? Or maybe you have this compassion. You know, it's like I just, I just naturally come with this compassion. And you may have the gift of mercy, the gift of mercy, and go, well, I must be in the Father's stage. I just have this mercy and this love for everybody. Well, no, you were graced with that one. If so, if you can imagine, you have this, this whole barrel, and you got all these slats that go up, but you have one slat that is low. That's your maturity level. 
Water will flow out of the lowest slat. And that is your constraint. So don't look at, don't try to define your maturity level based on your highest slats. Base it upon where are your lowest slats. That's your maturity level. But you have to be really honest with where you are. You're not going to move up to the next thing unless you're honest. Okay, this is where I'm at. So you can't have shame. You know, if you have any shame or condemnation, you're definitely in the child stage. So you got to get over that thing and, and, and work it through and, and begin to say just. But what I'm telling you is that I, I kind of gave you these different things just so you will know these are some of the characteristics. And this is how I can begin give attention to these things and begin to move up from one thing into the next thing. But you just need to give just a proper uh, understanding of, of these particular things. You can look good on the outside, but listen, it's, you know, it's kind of like if you go to Tucson, you know, they got the old movie sets. I don't know if you've been out there where they, where they shot all these old westerns out there. I mean, they look really good. You can walk down the street and you think you're in a real town. And you go look like there's nothing back behind here. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's just the movie set. So you can, look, you can look mature in some areas, but be honest. Where are you really? If I were to look behind the curtain, like what, what's there? Okay. <laughs> I'm, we're kind of, I'm going to kind of move on to the, like the, to the very next thing. I'm going to give you something that as, we, as you're moving into the children's stage and as you're moving forward for you, the thing that we need to understand. Whenever you are born again, God put his seed inside of you. First uh, Peter 1.23 says this. It says, for you've been born again, not of a seed that is perishable, but imperishable. That is the living, the abiding word of God. So God put his seed inside of you, his life inside of you. See, when God comes inside of you, he comes inside of you in seed form. And that seed has the full DNA of heaven in it. But it doesn't come mature. It comes in pretty much in seed form. So whenever you become a new creature in Christ, uh, that whenever you do that, that is, that is actually the beginning of change, not the fulfillment of change. You're starting the change. You're starting the transformation process by being born again. You know, and as we talked about uh, this morning, that, that Galatians 4.19 passage where it tells us that, you know, he says, I labor until Christ is formed in you. So he's in you, but, you know, is he formed in you? So you're growing to become like Christ and develop the nature of Christ inside of you. So you become that new creature uh, because God's seed is basically planted into your life. And so you got you to look at your life as like a garden. God puts his seed inside of you. And so your job is to be a farmer and nurture the life that God has put inside of you. In other words, you need to cooperate with that seed so that seed will actually grow. And that seed that's as inside of you has, has the exact, it, it's, it's the DNA of heaven. I mean, it's like this. If, you know, if I plant corn, inside that, that seed is, is a, there's a DNA that what's going to, going, going to rise up and grow is going to be the replica of what I planted because it has the DNA of what I planted. So when God puts his seed inside of you, 
I mean, you have the fullness of all of his nature. The full DNA of heaven happens to be inside of you as it comes to you in seed form. And, and so understand this, that no power of darkness can overcome you if you will cooperate with the seed that God put in you. But we have to learn to cooperate with the seed. Oftentimes we try to win the battle with the power of resolution. Now, the power of resolution is, you know, the power of my will. You know, it's like, you know, New Year's comes around, you make that New Year's resolution. He's like, okay, I'm, this year I'm going to start this. I'm going to, you know, start this kind of diet or exercise. Or I, I got all the stuff I'm going to do this coming year, and I'm going to start tomorrow. <laughs> and then the next day, you know, you're feeling pretty good. Not quite as strong as the day you started it and you made it, but you feel okay. You know, but what happens? Eventually, that's, that's the power of resolution. It's the power of your will. It can actually kind of get you started, but it can't, you can't really finish oftentimes with that. With that. So, and, and so what happens is this is what people try to do. They, they try to live the Christian life by the power of resolution, by the power of the will. And so they go to, you know, they go to a conference, they go to church, or they go to have something like this, and, they, and, and, you know, God speaks to them, they have this conviction, and they go, okay, you know, I'm going to start doing this, and I'm not going to do this, and, and they start, you know, they make a commitment to God, and they feel really strong, and then, you know, a week later, they're not quite as strong as when they made that commitment, and then the next week after that, not quite as strong. In other words, little by little, it erodes because it's on the power of the will. A person can even have a, an amazing God encounter. I mean, we're like, you know, the God shows up and, and it changes them. Kind of like, you know, Paul had that experience, you know, on the road to Damascus. I mean, I've met some people that it's like, you know, this one friend of mine, you know, she was like in, in, in prison when she had an encounter with God. You know, she was Jewish, not a believer. He shows up in the room, picks her up, slams her down on the bed. I mean, it was, she, it was a crazy experience. She gives her heart to Jesus obviously, through this whole process. But, you know, so I know people have those encounters, but you see, you can have this God encounter, but if you don't pursue watering and taking care of the seed inside of you, even those encounters, they won't sustain you in the long run because that encounter was, is a yesterday's grace encounter. It's not a today's grace encounter. It's a yesterday's grace encounter. You have to walk in today's grace, not just live from yesterday's grace. So, which means you're going to have to cooperate with that seed that God basically, you know, you know put, in, put inside of you. The power of resolution can actually get you started on your journey. It just, it's just not sufficient to finish. But it can get you started in cooperating with the seed inside of you. Power resolution, but it's not enough to, 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 you know, to drive those unwanted desires out of your life. Only the life within you can do that. So we go, okay, well, I'm not going to do I'm not going to think this way. I'm never going to be angry. I'm not going to lust. I'm not, we make these resolutions, but yet we can't fulfill those because we're using our will to do that. But the power, but the power of that seed of of God's seed inside of you has the power to take it and drive those unwanted desires out if we learn to cooperate with the seed that is within us. The seed within us has the power for genuine, long-lasting change. So resolution gets you started. It, it actually, 
You know, it activates grace. It gets you in your time with God. It, it actually initiates your time to get into the Word. In, in other words, there's enough in the power of resolution to jumpstart you on this journey because it's going to require your will, your decision, your choice. And, but, it, but you need to let that get you started in taking care of that seed because as you nurture that seed, then the seed is going to rise up and be able to produce in you the want-tos. Where you actually want to. Philippians chapter 2, 13 says, For God is at work in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. So when the life of God begins to grow up inside of you, all of a sudden your desires change, your passions change. Let me give you another verse. 1 John chapter 3, 9 says this. He says, To one who is born, no one who is born of God practices sin. That's actually in the present tense. So it actually means no one who is born of God continues, it's a continuous action, continues to, present, to practice sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot continue to sin, present tense, because he is born of God. See, that's, that's in other words, when the, God's life inside of you begins to rise up and, and grow inside of you, it, it changes your passions and changes your heart. And it's like, and you, and you don't want to, you don't want to sin. So you see, my life is like a garden, you know? And so I, I got to realize that I got to nurture that seed that's inside of me there. So, you know, because I cannot will myself into a place of victorious living. I, you know, I can't overcome the, the strongholds and the lies, you know, Unless I cooperate with the seed of God that's, that's within me. I'm not transformed by the gathering of truth. I mean, because you can have an endless knowledge of truth but not be changed. You can have an understanding. You got, but the life of God inside of you, I mean, it, it'll determine how you think. It'll, 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 it'll help you in your direction of your life. It's like this. If, if I love righteousness, temptation isn't going to take me out. I mean, it's, you see, the life inside of you loves righteousness. So if I nurture that life inside of me, nurture the seed, as that grows up, you know, what, what do I want to do? Well, I, I love righteousness. Well, you know, t- temptation is not going to take you out But when you love righteousness. You know, it's sin, oh, you know, it's... No, no, I love righteousness more than I love sin. So, I mean, you just as you nurture the sin, the, what's inside of you, the righteousness, the peace, the joy, that what's inside of you begins to rule. God, is that in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure? All of a sudden, my want-tos change. My passions change. Well, you know, how do you overcome, how do you overcome those desires like lust and, and, and hate and stuff like this? Well, Cooperate with the seed. And as it grows up, then your passions will shift into his passions. So you have to see that you are a farmer that cooperates with the seed. Life is not in the farmer. Life is in the seed. And the farmer just learns to cooperate with the life that's already in the seed. You don't produce the life. It's already in the seed. 
It's already, everything is already there. So you have to just to cooperate with the seed and let the seed do its work. And the way you water that seed is going to be in your communion with the Lord. As you walk with Jesus, as your communion, you actually water that, the seed. As you learn to, to walk with him, develop your love for God, and to walk with him, let, let him walk with you, you take the word of God and you actually turn the word into a conversation. In other words, I get in his word and, and I begin to have a relationship and a communion with Jesus right in his word. I mean, you, you, you can study for hours and not ever talk to Jesus. Right? I mean, you can study for hours and, and, and just miss him. But if you take his word and use it as a point of conversation and meditating on it and commune with him, then all of a sudden you begin to water, you water the seed. Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees, said this. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. So in other words, they're looking at the same scriptures, but they're missing Jesus in the scriptures. Jesus said, those things point to me. I mean, we, you know, we, we went to a restaurant a while ago, and they handed us the menu. But you know what? We didn't eat the menu. The menu pointed to the meal. And a lot of people don't realize that whenever you get into scriptures, you, it points to Jesus. You look for Jesus in the scriptures because it all points to him. So if you will just cooperate with the living seed inside of you, nothing can, nothing can stop the power of that indestructible life that's within you. There's not any power in hell that's big enough, strong enough to defeat you if you will just cooperate with that particular, with the seed of God put inside of you because your passions will shift and change. You see, whenever, you, whenever you're encountering Jesus, something happens. I mean, whenever you encounter Jesus, Jesus, when he touches you, he, he changes your capacity. In, in, in the book of uh, John chapter Seven verse uh, thirty-seven and thirty-nine. You know, said if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and then rivers of living water will flow from his innermost being. This he said he's talking of the Spirit, which would come, but it hasn't come yet because Jesus had not been glorified. But he's talking about what is like life in the Spirit. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That is actually in the present tense, so it's actually not just coming once, but it's actually continuing to come and take a drink. Because what happens in the spirit realm is that whenever you take a drink, you, it makes you thirstier in the spirit realm. Whenever you, you know, whenever you taste, it makes you hungry. That's, you know, that's what an appetizer is supposed to do, kind of get you, get you hungry for the meal. And so that's in the spirit realm. It's, it's like the more I eat, the hungrier I get. The more I drink, the thirstier I get. When somebody, you know, comes to me and they say, well, you know, I think I'm just kind of spiritually full. And I go, well, you haven't been, you haven't been drinking and you haven't been eating. Because if you do, the hungrier you will, you will get for, for the things of him. But just see the picture here. Come to me and drink. 
and then a river. There, there's a difference between a drink and a river. I mean, you get a little bit, but, but then you get a river. See, he changes your capacity. Whenever you're faithful with the little, you'll have a lot that'll come out of you and flow from you because he changes your capacity. See, our, our issue with faith is not our inability to hear God because we can all hear God. Our issue with faith is that we're just more than willing to listen to other voices. He's always willing to speak to us. He's, this, this, listen to what he said to the, to the disciples in John 16, 12. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What was their issue? They didn't have capacity for the weightier things of God. He was willing to speak. I, I have a lot. Of, I'd like to say a lot. The issue is, you can't bear the weight of what I would like to tell you. So he's always, he's always wanting to speak. He's always wanting to say something. And when he speaks, he creates. When he speaks, you know, like in Genesis chapter 1, he spoke the world into being. When he speaks, he creates. When, when, he, when he speaks, he transforms. But understand that God is a good steward of what he has to say. He's extravagant, but he's not wasteful. Do you have capacity you see, he wants, to, he wants to reveal things, show things. He wants, to, he wants to just speak more and more to you. But the question, do you have the capacity to be able to bear the weightier things that he wants to talk to you about? Jesus said this in John 6, 30, 63. He says, my words that I've spoken to you have spirit and are life. And that's, and, and, you know, Peter even recognized in that same passage, you know, because whenever the, you know, the crowds left because Jesus hit them with the, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood thing. And they all go, oh, no, Martha, he's turned weird. And they all ran away. You know, he said, how about you guys? And, you know, Peter said, where else are we going to go? You're, I don't understand this at all, but you have the, the, you have the words of life. There's something in it. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you, you know, you read the book of Revelation, you go, man, that's kind of weird stuff. But all of a sudden, but that's the word, and your spirit goes, yeah, I love it, you know? Like my brain, like, I can't figure this thing out. But my spirit going, yeah, yeah, so good, so good, you know? But my head's going, I don't understand this. <laughs> I mean, everybody hears from God. I mean, you couldn't even come into a relationship with God if you couldn't hear him because he's pulling you into it. The issue is that we're just kind of, you know, willing to hear other voices. When he speaks, he does speak reality. I mean, his reality is true reality. It, even, you, you know, even though you don't see it, his reality is, is a, there is a reality there, and it is, it is a true reality, greater than you can even see. <coughs> Luke chapter 8, verse 14, is the parable of the seed and the sower, and it talks about the seed that fell among the, the thorns. All right, so here the seed, it falls among the thorns, it rises up, you know, and then it gets choked out. And so Jesus has explained that, you know, about the worries of the world and, and all this kind of stuff that's going to be choking it out. So you have to think, where did, those, where did those thorns come from? Well, they came from other seeds. 
In other words, you allowed other seeds to come into your garden. You listened to other voices and allowed them to come in, and they're weeds, they're thorns, and they're coming, and as they grow up, they can't destroy it because it is an indestructible seed, but it will choke out the very thing that really brings you in the fullness of, of life there. You see, because we're not always discerning when we're listening to voices that are not heavens. See, the enemy is always speaking to us. The question, you know, are you going to listen when he talks? He said, well, like, I can shut him out completely. Well, no, you can't. I mean, he talked, he talked to Adam and Eve until they listened. He's, he's tenacious about this, but you have to recognize whenever you hear a voice that's not from heaven, you have to recognize that, that those voices sound like you, and they sound like your thoughts. And you think it's your thought because it sounds like you. But you have to recognize when other seeds are coming in that are not from heaven, and as they begin to go up, you're going to have to capture those. Otherwise, they'll, you'll, they'll, they'll plant, and you begin to entertain them, and you'll actually begin to water those seeds. Matthew chapter 13, verse 21, when it's talking about the seed that fell among the rocky soil, okay, it, 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 you know, it, it couldn't develop any roots. It springs up. The, the sun comes up, and it dies. And so when Jesus is talking about it, he's, he's explaining that. He says, when tribulation arises because of the word, so understand, you know, whenever God speaks, that word that it gives you, that word actually attracts struggle. It attracts tribulation. It attracts persecution. So what happens, you know, God gives me a word. And I'm going, okay, I'm going to follow this word. I'm going to follow what God says. And we get in the midst of it, and it's like now we've got struggle, tribulation, problems. You know, what do we say? Oh, no, I must not have heard God correctly. What did you just do? You just entertain another seed. Sometimes the struggle is an indication that you heard correctly. You're on the right track. Because the enemy is going to come against that. Try to derail you and get you pretty much off course. Mark 7, 13, Jesus says this. He says, by your traditions, you render powerless the word of God. Well, what's, what's a tradition? Well, a tradition usually comes out of yesterday's word. It's a word that God gave yesterday. It's a word that he gave at another time, usually a word for the moment, a rhema word for that time in that moment, and it becomes an application of the word that God Gave. And so you simply develop a tradition based on that previous word. But is it today's word? You see, well, sometimes we actually listen to whether or not what, you know, to the voice, if it's God or not, based upon yesterday's revelation, not today's current word. And then we take those traditions and we actually elevate it to, to the point of Scripture, like you you know, it's like you, you violate that tradition. You just violated the Bible. Oh, show me that in the Bible. Well, it's, it's in there someplace, you know, because they've simply elevated that tradition to that, to that particular point there. So you end up, you know, 
So you, so you start seeing through, through, the, through the eyes of a, of a belief, belief system of yesterday rather than from today. And you start redefining what God is saying today through yesterday's revelation, yesterday's word there. And you're elevating it in a place that it doesn't need, need to be. You see, whenever I start giving attention to the wrong seed, I begin choking out the most powerful thing in my life. And I can't be doing that. And when I entertain those seeds, I'm making a choice to elevate them to a place that they don't need to have in my life. In fact, I'm elevating them over the prevailing word that's over my life. So I, I can't be finding myself feeding the things that are absolutely power, powerless, you know, that's going to choke out the very thing that's going to give me life and bring me into my destiny. So I have to learn how to, to grow, you know, the nurture, the seed that God has put inside of me. You see, whenever we nurture the life of God inside of us, then we begin to position ourselves to bear the weightier things that God wants to give us. The weightier things he wants to reveal to us. The weightier things that bring us into, 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 new, into new places. Because if, when we allow those other seeds, we, our capacity is choked. To increase that means that we have to begin to go into the garden of our life. And we have to begin to learn how to weed out the things that are not of him. This is where that 2 Corinthians 10 Verses 3 through 5, when it, where it talks about how we are to, you know, the, the weapons of our warfare, they're not fleshly or carnal. They're, they're, they're divinely powerful to destroy strongholds or fortresses. And then we're going to take every thought, you know, everything that comes up against the knowledge of God, we're going to go after that one there. We're going to take every thought captive. We're going to make it obey Christ. I'm going to actually make my thoughts obey Jesus. So it's, it is that, that drive to do this. And as you, you move into that young men's stage, this is the thing that has to happen. You have to recognize the voices when they begin to, when they begin, you know, begin to speak there. So you're going to have to weed your garden. A lot of times, you know, what, what, so there, let me just say, so what churches should be doing is should be teaching you to be a good farmer to how to nurture the life of God inside of you. And what happens, oftentimes churches, they're not teaching you to be a good farmer. In fact, they have kind of a misplaced priorities. And so what they decide to do is, is that they decide they're going to be the farmer for you. Because they don't, first of all, they don't, they, don't, they, don't tr they don't trust that the life inside of you is greater than the darkness around you. And they don't trust that you're going to be a good farmer at all. So what we're going to do, we're going to create a greenhouse. All right? So our church becomes like this greenhouse. And so it, you, you got to stay. We're, we're actually going to be the farmer for you inside of this greenhouse. And, and uh, rather than teach you to do it, we're, we'll do it for you. But to stay in the greenhouse, we have rules. And uh, you got to obey the rules. Now, the rules are there because we're trying to limit temptation. We're trying to limit temptation. So, you know, the motives are right. We're trying to limit temptation, but we're going to put rules on you. I mean, we're, we're going to put rules that even Jesus didn't even follow, but we're going to put those rules on you. And if you're going to stay in the greenhouse, you've got to obey the rules and follow the rules. And what happens whenever you get out of the greenhouse and you've never been taught to be a farmer? 
When I first started doing ministry, I was in youth ministry and college ministry. So as I started doing college ministry before I did, I did that for years before I did pastoring, you know, churches there. It's kind of how, I, you know, places that I learned. And, so, and I remember these young people in these churches, they were like, they were in their church. They were strong. I mean, they were, they were leading Bible studies. They're giving their testimonies. I mean, they're teaching, you know, classes, all this kind of stuff. I mean, you're looking, oh, this is going to be a pretty adi- good addition to the ministry we have on the college campus. And then they get to the college campus, and it's like they lost their brains. It's like they, get, they go into this moral decline and depravity, like, like they can't control themselves and help themselves. They just find themselves in these deep places of sin, you know, and you go, and their church is going, what happened to this person? You know, and, and I'll tell you what happened to them. Nobody taught them to be a farmer and nurture the seed that was inside of them. See, in, the, in those greenhouses, you will grow a little bit. You can look pretty good, but it's an artificial environment. But then you get out into the jungle, and you've been living in the zoo. <laughs> You're not going to survive very well. And that's what happens to a lot of people. As long as they're coming to the greenhouse, they do good. And once they get out, they can't. Because they've not learned to cooperate with the seed. See, those, those temptations, they're following the rules. I'm not tempted. That's because you you're following the rules. You get outside, and all of a sudden, you don't have the want-tos and the wills, and the world takes you out. It's growing, maturing people up. When I first started, my first church that I was a pastor of in Washington State was in Bremerton, Washington, and it's kind of a blue-collar place. A lot of people were, you know, in the Navy or you know, submarines and all this kind of stuff. We had a shipyard. And it, was, it was pretty much a blue collar. It was a lot of fun. Loved that church. You know, I went up there. They had 12 people in the church when I went there. First Sunday there, we had high attendance day. You know, we had 22, and that included, you know, a family of five that were visiting in my, in my, myself, my wife, my in-laws. I mean, it's like, you know, that was a big day for them. And uh, we were there four and a half years, and over that four and a half years, the church just blew up. I mean, it grew. It just, it just, it just, and we filled everything up, everything, we, all the space, was, it was full. I ran across a system that I used for discipleship that was pretty intense. It was like a six-month thing, like, you know, you know, it's supposed to go for six months. We ended up going for nine. It was just that intense. And, and uh, so... You know, you do the homework, and so every week you had to do a Bible study. You had to memorize two verses. You know, you worked on a presentation that you gave like every, you know, every three to four weeks. And, uh, you know, so you, and then, you know, spend time with God every day. And so, I mean, we had all these requirements, and then we met together for, for a couple of hours, and we worked through the different stuff together. And, and what happened is that these guys began to grow. They began to, I mean, it really worked really, really well. And, and from that, we had people going into ministry. As one guy went, goes into student ministry in Missouri. 
You know, he got out of the Navy, and that's what he did. And then I had another guy, you know, got out of the military. He went to pastor a church in Texas. I mean, I had leaders. And so these, they were multiplying themselves. I mean, I, I thought I had found the formula. Hallelujah. The process. And it worked very, very well. So, the, you know, the Lord does move you from time to time, and he moved us to across the, the Puget Sound to Mercer Island, you know, which is in the, the middle of Lake Washington there next to Seattle. And, and uh, you know, it was a smaller church, but that's okay. I had the formula. We're going to make disciples. But I was really was a hireling in that church. I really wasn't. I mean, they just, you know, these guys were all executives and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy who all lived on Mercer Island there. But, you know, these, these guys, they weren't like wanting to listen to me. You know, I was, they hired me to do the ministry, you know, and I'm trying to get them to, to do the ministry. So it was a struggle. But I'm, going, but I'm going to break through. I'm going to find a group of people who are going to meet with me, and we're going to see this thing changed. It took them about a couple, about a year, year and a half. And I found some people who said, yeah, we'll, we'll meet with you. We'll go through this process. And so you know, okay, we're, here we go. You know, about, about two or three months into this thing, I began to notice. Now, these guys are doing all the homework, but they're not any different. They're, they're not different, you know. So they're about the same people. They're just smarter. And so when we finish that, I'm like, they're not, these guys are not any different than whenever we started this. So I'm going, okay, that's, Something's wrong here. So, I, I, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm they, they, so the next thing they did, they said, that this was really good. When are we going to do the next class? Class? This is not a class. It's like a lifestyle, you know? And I go... So these guys, they approached it like it was an education. They're, like they're going to school. I go, no, we're not doing this. So I said, I'm not going to do this. So I'm, I sit back and I go... This is a train wreck. And I came across this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. With an unveiled face. You know, it's in the context of Moses, right? Moses... You know, he had this encounter with God. He'd, he'd, come, he'd go out with the people. His face was glowing. Scared them to death, so he put a veil up. But they couldn't see that behind the veil, the glory was fading until he got back into, you know, with God again, and then it continued to glow. Well, the context in that passage there is, is really is saying this. Unlike Moses, whose glory faded, our glory increases in the new covenant. So in other words, we get to, it's with an unveiled face, you know, we're looking at Jesus as in a mirror. Now, the mirrors of those days were not perfect reflections. They were just pieces of metal shined up. And so for you to really see yourself, you had to look intently into the mirror. You know, that's where that 1 Corinthians 
13 talks that we look into a mirror darkly. In other words, it's not a perfect reflection. But as I look at, so in other words, I have to intently gaze. And so when I intently gaze into the glory of, of the Lord and I gaze into him, then I'm transformed from glory to glory. And that word transformed, is, we get our word metamorphosis from it. It is metamorphio. So it is, it is you know, transformed. That word is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used here. It's used in the transfiguration. You know, when Jesus had this, in, this prayer encounter with Moses and Elijah and the other disciples got to see this. And then it's also used in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Okay? Only three times it's used. So here it says, I'm transformed when I'm looking into Jesus. So I'm like, okay, so Jesus, what you're saying, if I can just have people looking at you, they'll be changed. And then he began to speak to me like, well, Rodney, let's think about whenever you did those things, you were changed. I go, yeah, I was changed. He said, that's because you led the group and you had to spend time with me because you can't expect them to spend time with me if you're not spending time with me. And I go, well, that's true. I, I did do that. He said, what changed you wasn't the material, it was spending time with me. You spent time with me, and that's what changed you. I said, okay, if that's true, Lord, then I'm going to experiment. I'm going to start a new group. And in this group, I'm not going to make them do anything except spend time with you. So I taught them how to spend time with God. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I did that in, in just a little bit. I taught them how to spend time with God every day and how to, how to really encounter Jesus. You know, you're just not eating the menu. You're actually just enjoying the meal. And how to encounter him. And, and, and then we're, what we're going to do once a week, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about our walk with Jesus this week. What's he saying to you? What's he teaching you? What's he showing? I don't want to know about last week. I don't want to know about last month, last year, some experience you had 20 years ago. I'm not interested in that. I want to know in the last seven days, tell me your encounters with Jesus. So we meet as a group. I go, okay, you're first. Tell me about your walk with Jesus this week. He share. Okay, that's good. How about you? You're next. And that's what we did. And I, I, I began to notice something. Even though I didn't require them to memorize Scripture, they actually were memorizing Scripture. Oh, yeah, God, God gave me this verse, and he spoke to me, and, and, and they've kind of committed to memory. They can kind of tell you. You know, I didn't, we didn't, I didn't make them study the Bible. But they started studying the Bible. I mean, it's like all the disciplines that I was trying to get them, those other groups, they were just doing it on their own because Jesus was leading them into that. And they began to change. The character began to shift. And the Lord began to show me, you see, the real change begins about when you encounter me. And what they were doing, they were watering the seed watering, fertilizing the seed, and it was growing. They were cooperating with the seed that was inside of them. When I went to my next church in Hayward, that's the first thing I did. You know what we're all going to do? We're going to spend time with God. I mean, I had, my, I had leaders 
deacons, elders who didn't have a daily walk with God. They never had a quiet time in their whole life. And, uh, and I made them do it. I gave them a book we can kind of work through too. You know, Peter Lord had a book called uh, Soul Care. So we actually kind of had him work on that one as well because that kind of complimented it. And, and, and so all of a sudden, my leaders began to change. So much so that I, I took a very traditional Southern Baptist church. We're talking about at the end of the offering, we all sang the doxology. Everybody wore suits. I mean, it was, it was a very traditional Southern Baptist church. And within about two to three years, we, we were doing everything in the spirit. You know, we're casting out demons, healing the sick. We're doing all the power stuff, hearing God. Prophecy begins to pop up. I mean, because what, what changed? I can make all these changes because they're hearing God. And we quit from saying, you know, the language kind of shifted to, well, what's God saying to you? What's God telling you? What's your God talk this week? Okay, what's your self-talk, but what's your God talk? And all, people began to hear God and began to walk. And so we just held people accountable for their walk with God. And changed took place. Because they watered the seed. So let me tell you what I told them to do. It's actually when I started spending time with God, this, this is what I learned to do. I learned that my quiet time consisted of two questions. Question number one is, what does God want to say to me through this passage? So what I would do, that's the first one. What I would do, I would say, okay, we're, you're going to go through a book. We're not reading through the Bible in a year. All you're doing, you're going through a book. We're going to start in the New Testament. Don't do the Leviticus, okay? Don't do the Old Testament. Just start in the New Testament. Let's get a book, end in the New Testament, and uh, maybe, maybe John or, you know, something. Start with that. And I want you just to start off with just a small portion, maybe one to two verses or a thought or a paragraph. Some, you know, some translations actually put in the paragraph. And I want you to read it. And I want you to read it through several times. And then I want you to ask God, God, what do you want to say to me through this? So now you're starting to hear God speak through his word. And then when you write, and here's it, you have to write. Something about writing activates your senses and actually activates you actually hearing in the spirit realm. Something about writing. One thing, writing slows down your thinking. Because you can think pretty fast, but your writing slows down your thinking. God speaks in that small, still voice. And so you're slowing down your thinking. So you begin to write the first thing that comes to your head. And you say, well, what if nothing comes to my head? Then take that and paraphrase it. And as you paraphrase it, begin to write all the other thoughts that come along with that paraphrasing. You'll be surprised. God's going to start speaking to that. First question, God, what do you want to say to me? Second question, what do I want to say to God? And I write down, what do I want to say to him? Now, what we have, we have a book in the Old Testament called Psalms. A lot of that Psalms is David talking about what he wanted to say to God. You know, and God can handle anything that's on your heart, whether it's good or bad. He's just big enough to handle it all. <clears throat> but God's looking for you to be authentic with him. You just write it out. Then you're done for the day. The next day, you don't go to the next set of verses yet. <clears throat> 
you go back to those previous verses because you just had a whole day off of those previous verses. You read them again and you say, God, is there anything else? If nothing comes to your mind, then you go to the next set. And you just go after book after book after book in the New Testament. And as you do that, it, then you'll have this whole history of a conversation with God through his New Testament. And as you do that, you're going to water the seed that's inside of you. And it's going to spring up life. There's no power in hell that can overcome you and take you out if you will cooperate with the seed that's inside of you. It is an indestructible seed. It is imperishable. The enemy cannot destroy it. You cannot destroy it. But you can choke it if you don't feed it. You can choke it if you don't water it. You can choke it if you allow the seeds to come in. But cooperate with that. So, Lord, teach us to be good farmers. Teach us to be good farmers that cooperate with the life that you put within us. That we'll water it, fertilize it, and let it grow. In Jesus' name, amen.